What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, George Shirley. Jai, Shields got a good show here for you on this Wednesday, May the 19th, the year 2021. Give you my two cents on this Tony La Russa unwritten rules uh, fiasco between the White Sox and the Twins. Here at the top of the program, of course, the NBA play-in tournament. And give you my two cents as another no-hitter was thrown on Tuesday night uh, via the Detroit Tigers and the Seattle Mariners joined the Cleveland Indians as the two teams that have been no-hit twice already in this fairly uh, young season, a month and a half uh, in. But let's jump right into it and not waste any further time with this scenario regarding the Chicago White Sox and the Minnesota Twins. Um, in case you didn't, in case you were, uh, in case you were unaware, on Monday night, Yerman Mercedes of the the young rookie phenom of the Chicago White Sox, who has been mashing the baseball for the last month and a half of this young season, uh, was up to bat against the Minnesota Twins. Chicago was in uh, Minnesota uh, the last couple of days. They were up. Uh, they had a twelve run lead. They were up sixteen to four. If my mem- if I have it re- if I have it read correctly. They were up by twelve plus. They were up by twelve plus runs, um, up by twelve plus runs in the top of the ninth inning. It was an absolute blowout, and the Minnesota and the Minnesota Twins had had Willens Astudillo, a position player pitching, who threw a forty-seven mile an hour fastball through a 47 mile an hour pitch uh to Yerman Mercedes and it was a three you know the old on the old outdated stupid uh egregious cringeworthy 3-0 unwritten rule uh scenario he he Mercedes gets a three on 3-0 he gets a take sign from La Russa and from the Chicago White Sox dugout, he di- he ignores the sign, swings 3-0, 47-mile-an-hour pitch down the heart of the plate, and he hits it 50 feet over the fence for a home run while the White Sox were up 11 and nothing uh, in the late in the late innings on Monday night. What happens Tuesday? What happens Tuesday night? He gets he gets thrown at by he gets thrown at by a, a Tyler Duffy, the Twins reliever. He gets thrown behind him in the top of the seventh inning in Tuesday and Tuesday night's game. In Tuesday night's game, he gets ejected, and and then we all have this huge uh, falling out between the Twins and the White Sox. Now here is my thought. Here is my opinion on the matter. Okay, I could care less. Could care less about the score, about anyone's feelings, ego, any of that. Mercedes, granted, should have not ignored. You don't disobey or ignore your boss or your or your higher up at your job. So Mercedes, a young player, young rookie, has to learn that and realize that hey, when your manager gives you a sign, you obey the sign. Especially if, especially if it's a situation like this where it's a block, you 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 don't ignore the sign. So Mercedes was wrong in that aspect that you get the sign to take, you take, you you, you don't you don't disobey a sign. Your boss or your supervisor supervisor tells you to do something, you do it. But having said that, the idea that Urin Mercedes has broken some essentially has broken the Ten Commandments. Because of this unwritten rule garbage nonsense about the 3-0 pitch and a take sign and hitting a home run when a team's getting their behinds kicked in the late innings of a ball game, I'm about sick and tired of I'm about sick and freaking tired of hearing this nonsense. We dealt with it with Tatis last summer because uh, because T- because Tingler didn't want because Tingler didn't want to get uh, his old buddies. In the uh, Texas uh, Texas Rangers dugout, all annoyed because we're more worried about people's feelings and egos and buddy buddy relationships than we are winning baseball games. We had to put up with this crap last summer, and now this year, this spring, we're going to have to do with the same thing. I mean, I I I, I don't get it, and I and I'm about sick and tired of this nonsense. Okay, I don't care. I don't care if the Chicago White Sox are up 11 runs, 12 runs, 13 runs, or 20 runs. 
okay? This is not like basketball. This is not like soccer. This is not like hockey. This is not like football where there's a clock. There's no clock. You got to get all 27 outs. So, and if the Minnesota Twins, you know, essentially see that the game is lost, that the game is over, and it means nothing, what the heck, throw a position player out there to pitch. If they don't like it, that they're hitting off of essentially a batting practice pitcher, you know, like it's 530, you know, pregame, pregame, tough, tough. If they, if they don't, if you don't like it, get him out. Simple. If if the game is that mean if the game is that mean play better okay play better I could care less how many runs they're up by I could care less about who's on whose team who's managing what team and whatnot could care less could care less could care less the hitter's job is to get hits and driving runs the hitter should not be pre-consumed and should be and should not be preoccupied with their opponent what their opponents are feeling sitting in the dugout or what some uh player that's playing out of position throwing 47 mile an hour pitches down the heart of the plate who's a who's a middle infielder who no one in America has ever heard of he should not be worried about their feelings and their egos okay I don't care who's on the mound. I don't care what the score is. I don't care what inning it is. His job is to get on base and drive in runs. Taking a walk, base hit, whatever. His job is to be a hitter and get in and contribute something positive to the Chicago White Sox's box score. And he should not have to be pre-concerned about a bunch of grown men. Grown men's feelings and egos when they're getting paid by the bushel in the middle of a pandemic. He should not be concerned with a bunch of grown 20-something, 30-something-year-old men getting paid millions to play a kid's game. I'm sorry. I mean, that we play. this is Major League Baseball, not, not Little League World Series in mid-late August up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It, it, no, these are grown men, professional athletes. If you don't like it that Mercedes, if you don't like what Mercedes did, tough. Get him out. I'm sick of it. And the twins should be more preoccupied at the fact that they at the fact that they are that at the fact that they have absolutely cracked the bed this season. The Minnesota Twins' record is 14-27. and 27. They should be more preoccupied at the fact that they are 13 games under 500 and have not won a playoff series since the George Bush administration in the early 2000s. They should be more concerned about winning baseball games when they win 100, win 100 plus games in a regular season, not to head into the month of October and piss down their leg in a first round playoff series and get and get swept three games out you go when it comes time for the Minnesota Twins to perform to perform in the big spotlight in prime time. The Twins should be more worried about winning baseball games instead of the stupid dopey outdated asinine unwritten rules that everyone is still up in smoke over who's older than 50 years of age nobody cares and if the minnesota twins don't like the urine mercedes took them deep tough win the baseball games and get them out and for tony larusa to essentially and for tony larusa to essentially not have his players back and to air out the team's dirty laundry to the media is also a disgrace and, and, and a joke. If if you if you don't like it because you're because you're old, get off my lawn type of guy, and you don't see eye to eye when it comes to that unwritten rule stuff, and you're upset that he disobeyed a take sign, you have every you're his boss, you have every right to be annoyed at him. Every right. You gave him a take sign, he disobeyed it. If if you have a problem with that, which you have every right to, then fine. But what you don't do is go in front of the media and essentially take the twins aside on this and essentially alienate your young player Mercedes and and essentially hang hang your young fantastic roster, Abreu, you know, Abreu, everybody, and hang them out the dry, and have them look like an east end of a westbound horse. Because you side with the twins. That's unacceptable. 
If you don't like what Mercedes did and took an issue with it, fine. You don't go ahead and air out the team's dirty laundry in front of the media. You know, this past weekend with the Phillies, manager Joe Girardi and Gene Segura got into a dispute when they were in Dunedin playing the Blue Jays over this past weekend. Now, I'm pretty sure whatever happened between the two of them, did Girardi like what, what Segura did or did not do? He, did, he had a disagreement with Gene Segura. But the bottom line is, he did not go to the Philadelphia media and air out the team and Segura's dirty laundry, throw him underneath the bus and have him look and have him looking like a and have him looking like a horse's behind. He kept what happened inside that dugout and within the team. He kept that internal dispute internal. He did not go out there and air out the team's dirty laundry into the public which is being professional about the situation, and that's how Arusha should have handled it. And I don't hear any of this crap, any of this garbage. Well, Girardi isn't as good as a manager of, as La Russa, and, and, you know, La Russa is a Hall of Fame manager and won three championships, as my man Chris Russo tried to tell me. Oh, my God, get, that's irrelevant to the situation. How many championships La Russa has is irrelevant. The bottom line is, is he was out of line, he was out of order. Did they have every right to be annoyed at Mercedes? Yes. Should he air it out his dirty laundry to the media and into the public? Absolutely not. You go ahead, you pull him aside, you pull him in the office, you sit with him on the team bus back to the hotel, you talk to him in the hotel lobby, in the hotel uh, hallway, and you, and you bring it to his attention then. You don't go out in front of the media and essentially take the twins aside on this and leave your own player ha hanging out the drive. You don't do that. And the idea that we're still stuck in the in the eight in in the in the nineteen thirties with this unwritten rule nonsense that God forbid you hit a home run, you know, when you're up by when you're up by double digits in the late innings with a three zero count. I'm so sick and tired of discussing this nonsense. It's nauseating. Get over yourselves. If you don't like it, how about not how about not being down eleven runs when you're supposed to be a first place when you're supposed to be a playoff contending baseball team. How about not, not being down a dozen runs in the late innings, getting embarrassed at home? How about that? How about your pitchers get guys out? You don't like it? Tough. Big deal. You're grown men getting paid millions to play a kid's game. Grow a spine, touch your balls, and get over it. My goodness gracious. Uh, 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 going to get hurt. Grow up. My gosh. You play in, you, again, you're not little leaguers. You're not 12, 13 years of age. You're grown men in your 20s and 30s paying mortgages who are, who are getting paid millions to play a kid's game. And Yerman Mercedes, Mercedes or Fernando Tatis Jr. should not be preoccupied because a bunch of because because a bunch of uh, because a bunch of millionaires, God forbid, we hurt their feelings or bruise their ego. Feelings and 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 a person's feelings and a person's ego is irrelevant when it comes to winning games. And when Mercedes or any other player, any other position player that's up at the plate trying to hit and and contribute something positive to their team and their own stats and, and their own. Uh, resume as a baseball player should not be preoccupied with any grown man's feelings or or ego or attitude issues. The Twins should be more worried about winning baseball games instead of the unwritten rules. You're 13 games under 500 and you have not won a playoff series since the George Bush administration. Worry about winning ball games instead of the unwritten rules. And you don't air out your team's dirty laundry, LaRusa. You don't do it. You pull them aside and you address it with them privately. If the media asks you a question, say we handle it internally, we have it, we've had it resolved, let's move on.
And then, you know, my man, my man Chris Russo, who we had on the program uh, uh, many a time and who we had on earlier this spring to preview the baseball season, he, he texts me, well, who are you to tell a Hall of Fame manager how to handle his team? Have you won three championships or are you in the Hall of Fame? Obviously, no, I'm 19 years, I'm near 10 days with me, I'm 19 years old. And two, well, who, well, I have a count, I texted him, I had a counter to that. Well, dog, who is Tony La Russa to be the unwritten rules police of Major League Baseball? Could care less what his accolades is. I could care less who cares whether or not he's in the Hall of Fame. How many championships he's he's won. It's irrelevant. Who is he to be the to be the to be the unwritten rules police in Major League Baseball? Protecting the quote unquote integrity of the game and quote unquote respecting the game. When he managed cheats and steroid users in Oakland and in St. Louis. With McGuire and Jose Canseco, who follows me, who follows me on Twitter, by the way. But who is Tony Larusa to be the morality police of the sport when he had cheats going into the bathrooms and in locker rooms and and in stalls and, and in parking garages, sticking needles up their rear end? Cheats, Canseco, McGuire, cheats. Yet LaRusso claims he didn't know anything about it. Oh my gosh, almighty. What do you mean he didn't know anything about it? It's your baseball team. My gosh, I'm so sick of this. This old, this old grumpy, this old grumpy, oh, get off my lawn, I threw up it. I'm so sick of it. Get with the times, folks. It's not 1971, not 1981, not 1961, not 1951, not 1941, not 1931, not 1921, not 1911. It's the 21st century, 2021. Give it the times. Times are changing, folks. Let's go. My goodness. Quit being soft and quit being fragile. Put your big boy pants on and deal with it. He takes you deep. Up by up by 11, 3-0 count, tough. Deal with it and get him out if you don't want him to take it deep. So sick of this, man. My goodness. You play Major League Baseball, not Little League Baseball. Y'all are grown men. Grown men. Jeez. Grow up and deal with it. My goodness gracious. Who cares about these stupid, old, asinine, unwritten rules? Oh my gosh almighty, nobody cares. Nobody cares about these stupid, unwritten rules. And he does it, we got to throw behind him and throw at him and cause this huge, major fracas. Oh my goodness. It's enough. Twins be more worried about winning baseball games and salvaging their season that's about to go down the toilet. My pathetic Orioles are doing better in retrospect in 2021 than the Minnesota Twins are. How worried about how about focus and worrying about beating the White Sox instead of belly aching and crying and moaning and groaning over these dumb unwritten rules? You don't like it? Get him out. Enough. And who is LaRusa when he was managing those cheats and those frauds in Canseco and McGuire to be the to be the morality police of the sport? And the idea that and the idea that 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 him winning the three championships excuses essentially excuses the fact that he's wrong in this scenario is my man. Christopher Russo tries to tell me is also a crock of garbage. It's enough. These unwritten rules. My goodness gracious. I mean, he gave him a meatball right down the heart of the plate. What, what the heck do you think he was going to do? He's a young player trying to, trying to establish his career in the sport. What else did you expect he was going to do? It was 47. I mean, I could have hit that ball 47 miles per hour. I could have crushed that ball into the uh, into the upper deck in right field. 
47 miles per hour, that ball, I would have looked like freaking Hank Aaron hitting that ball. It's a young kid. Give him the benefit of the doubt. My goodness gracious. Should he have disobeyed his manager? No. But give it a break. Cut it a rest. He didn't cheat the sport. He didn't rob a bank. He didn't kill anybody. Get over yourselves. I'm, I'm so sick of this. We got to abide by these unwritten rules because somebody's feelings going to get hurt. Tell with everyone else's feelings. Bunch of grown men. Get a spine. Get a grip. Drop your balls and grow up. Oh, we got to abide by these unwritten rules because God forbid such and such as feelings is going to get hurt. Oh, we, we, can't, we, we, can't rub our, we can't rub their face in it. They're already getting destroyed. We, why bother rub their noses in it? Shut up. Bunch of grown men, not a bunch of four-year-olds. Give me a break. Take a break. Just getting started. Just getting riled up. I'm Tilaka TAS Podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelica Taylor's podcast. Switching gears now, we'll get back to the baseball uh, next segment because I want a point I want to harp on as far as the no-hitters are concerned to close out the show. Uh, is that's the NBA playing tournament. And we will have, I will have uh, absolute coverage and commentary for the NBA playoffs come Saturday's episode and all through the rest of the month of May, all through June, and then in early July come NBA uh, finals time. But and this is not the show. Um, this is if you want to hear um, the Caps and Penguins in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you are not going to get to hear my friends. Uh, sorry, I am a three. Sp- I am a three sport guy: baseball, football, basketball, and every now and then a little tennis and golf mixed in. That that is the areas we hit home here on the Amatelic TIS podcast. But. <clears throat> Recapping the playing games, there's no need for me to preview the play playing games because a by the time this episode's out, they already started, and not that many people listen to me anyway. So I even bother to waste my breath. I'm gonna spend this segment though recapping the games from Tuesday night, and the fact that the Charlotte Hornets uh, failed to show up and just were not ready for prime time and got absolutely embarrassed, embarrassed. By the Indiana Pacers on Tuesday night, losing one forty-four to one seventeen. I mean, Indiana, Indiana led, led as much as thirty points plus in that game the other uh, last night. I mean, and I mean, if you go and look the the halftime score of the halftime score in that game, if you go ahead and you and you pull it up, the halftime score of that game was sixty-nine to was was sixty-nine to forty-five. I mean, my goodness gracious! I mean. The the Hornets were just uh they they were dominated the entire they were dominated throughout the entire game, dominated. I mean they had no obviously had no defense because the Pacers scored 144 points, but I mean they I mean they just were absolute. I mean they dominated Charlotte. I mean you would and Charlotte I think has a has one of the more has I think it's like their fifteenth or so season of without making the without making the NBA playoffs and of course the nine ten you know in case you all are confused as far as the playing is concerned the nine ten the nine ten playing game is the quote unquote elimination is the quote unquote elimination game so you get the four playing games two of them are elimination games and the other two games are not. So for instance, so for instance, tonight in the Western Conference, the San Antonio Memphis game is an elimination game. Whoever loses that game says goodnight until uh until next season, whenever that might be. And the winner and the winner 
move and the winner moves on and has to uh and I believe the winner has to then I believe I'm I'm confused myself. I think the winner I think the winner of uh the winner of that 9-10 game uh yeah has yeah that's right plays the other playing game. So for instance the Pacers won but they the Pacers won so they have to play the loser of the eight. They have to play the loser of the seven and eight, which in the Eastern Conference would be the Washington Wizards, and we'll get to them in a minute, in order to decide the eighth seed. So just to set this up for you, the winner of the seven eight gets the seventh seed and moves into the playoffs automatically and awaits the number two seed in their uh, specific part of the bracket. While the loser of the eight and seven gets another game and has to play the winner of the 9-10. So the winner of the 9-10 plays the loser of the 7 and 8 for the 8th seed for the 8th seed um in the playoffs in the you know in each conference in the playoffs. But the loser in the 9-10 goes home while the loser in the 7 and 8 lives to see at least one more game. So just to, just to set that up for you all properly as far as that is concerned um but charlotte i mean was i mean they just got absolutely embarrassed i mean yeah i mean a collect and it wasn't and it wasn't like a la uh the wizards where it was one guy that had a phenomenal performance that just dominated uh that just dominated the game from uh from quarter one to quarter four it was an all-around uh well-done performance from indiana you had mcdermott put up 21 uh, Brissett put up 23 points. Uh, I mean, the their their entire starting rotation had had more than had more than uh, had more than uh, 12 points. Their entire starting rotation had more than 12 points, and then they also had three guys come off the bench in Bid Daisy, whatever his name is, T.J. McConnell, and Martin Martin, the shooting guard. They also had double digit points too, 14, 17, 14. So when you have you have one you have your entire starting rotation five plus three so you have eight you have eight guys come on to the coming on to the court at different points in time throughout the basketball game they at least they at least have they have no more at the minimum twelve points so so out of so out of eight guys if the if so out of eight guys only one of them has the minimum of twelve points and the other ones have a maximum of of twenty one twenty three and and you can't throw the ball off the boat into the ocean as uh, the Hornets had an issue with you know uh, PJ Washington played 31 minutes walked away with eight points um, and La- and Lamelo Ball didn't get the job done 14 with 14 points and Terry Rozier only had only had a 16 you know you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna win basketball games let, let alone playing games and playoff type atmospheres on the road. Charlie was just not was just not ready to play. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what else he can turn. I don't know what else he can turn to. They just were not ready to play. As Charlotte will say good night until next season, and Indiana will head on the road to the Capital One Arena in D.C. Excuse me, and play the and play the winner of uh, last night's matchup between the, between the um, between the. Uh, the Wizards, I'm having a, a brain fart here. I apologize. Between the Wizards and the Boston Celtics, uh, and the Celtics, who honestly are one of the more hard to read, confusing, wishy-washy, up and down, inconsistent basketball teams that I have seen this season in the NBA. I mean, one minute they look like they're dead, and you can't motivate them to take a piss on the side of the road. Uh, in the middle of you know, in the middle of the high, in you know, in the middle of the highway, and then the next game they come out and they play with like their tails on fire, like their jobs at stake. And Jason Tatum drops fifty points, you know, it was uh, you know, and drops fifty points with four with eight rebounds, four assists, and a steal, two blocks, and absolutely plays his, and absolutely plays out of his mind. And Kemba Walker, his uh, his partner in crime, drops twenty drops twenty nine points also in the latter. Um, Boston with a 118-100 victory over Washington. And Russell Westbrook, although it doesn't quote-unquote count as a playoff game, but in a a playoff setting, so to speak, 
and, and I brought this up last week, mentioning about the fact that everyone's going gaga over the triple doubles. He did not bring his team home. Playing 37 minutes, you shoot 6 of 18 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3, and 20 points is not going to get the job done. And if Washington ends up somehow somebody losing at home to the hapless Indiana Pacers when they went on this late hot streak in the back end of the NBA regular season and Russell Westbrook with the triple-double stuff and, be, and passing Oscar Robinson, no one in America is going to care in the big picture when Russell Westbrook falls on, falls on his face and, 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 and can't deliver the goods in a big-time moment in primetime when the lights shine the brightest. I mean, I'm sorry. That's not a knock against him personally. That's not a, a knock against Russell Westbrook, the human being, is just the way it is. And he or any other Russell Westbrook apologist should not take it personally or should not take it as blasphemy or heresy as if you're breaking the Ten Commandments to say Russell Westbrook is a, is a good ba- is a good basketball player, a good point guard during the regular season, but come playoff times or in a play-in scenario, he sucks. And, and, and he can't get annoyed and he can't get butthurt when you say, hey, he's a touch overrated. Because in a playing game where you just win, where you win the game and you get where you win the game and you get Brooklyn in the second round, he can go up against his old buddies. Uh, uh, he can go up against his old buddies in Durant and Harden. I I don't want to hear I I don't want to hear anyone sit there and John tell me Russell Westbrook one of the what the game's all time great point guards when when in a playing game in a playoff type atmosphere on the road he. For 37 minutes, he's 0 of 4 from 3 and puts up and puts up uh, 20 points. That in and, and, and a play-in slash playoff setting like they were last night, that's not going to cut it. And no one in the big picture, whether it's after the season's over, 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25, 30 years from now, no one's going to care in the big picture unless Russell Westbrook proves otherwise or uh, proves and does otherwise. No one's going to care about his little triple doubles hot streak and the triple doubles machine he is during the reg- during regular season NBA basketball when in the playoffs he comes up small or in playoff type settings like this playing tournament. No one's going to care. And it's not harsh, it's not disrespectful, it's not being a hater, it's just seeing it for for what it is. You may get into the playoffs and be a competitive basketball team with Russell Westbrook on it, but at the same time, he's only going to take you but so far. He has a very low ceiling. And it's it's just the way it is. Granted, Bradley Beal being, you know, he definitely had issues with his legs throughout the game. Uh, 10 out of 25 and 1 of 6 from 3 obviously doesn't help either. Let's pick on him too. And him not being money at the free throw line, 1 of 2 doesn't cut it either. In effect, he turned over the basketball three times and Westbrook turned it over four times too. That's another thing. Also, I guess Westbrook controls that he turns the ball over way, 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 way too much in a big spot. Um, But Bradley, who was injured and was not playing 100%, takes some hits here too. He's had a phenomenal regular season. I understand he was hurt. But scoring twenty two points, you know, it ain't, it ain't going. It's not going to. It's not going to cut it. Not when Bradley. Not when uh, Jason Tatum on the other sides drop is dropping fifty, and Campbell Walker damn, damn near drops thirty on your head at the same time too. So, we'll see if Washington can bounce back against uh, against Indiana on Thursday night. Um, loser goes home. The winner. It gets uh gets the uh gets to gets the eighth seed and lives to uh see at the at the minimum uh four more games and gets to make it into the actual NBA playoffs. Loser goes home, winner moves on. Charlotte has already gone fishing. Um we'll see how how uh what I would hope to be an all time classic between Gold State and the Lakers. We'll see how that game plays out uh later on Thursday night. And uh, San and the winner of San Antonio Memphis essentially is just uh, you know it's it's they have, you know well it doesn't matter because no, no regardless who those teams play if they somehow some way get past the whoever wins that game if they somehow some way by a stroke of God make it past Golden State and and, and the Lakers they're going to get swallowed up for lunch and get bounced and swept in the first round. 
But none of those two teams are no none of those two teams, regardless who wins or loses, is going to make the playoffs. It's the you could honestly you could honestly see, and this would kind of hurts uh, the quote-unquote juice that lies between Gold State and and the Lakers is that you could is that they could play the I mean they could those those they they could play an all-time classic basketball game but at the end of the day both those teams would make the playoffs and it wasn't like that it was like a NCAA tournament NFL playoffs type deal where you know you lose the game you say goodnight to the rest of the season you the winner moves on you know, you can you honestly look at it, regardless how great of a basketball game it is, and regardless who wins or loses, both of those teams could end up being, you know, one of, could both end up being the seven and eight seeds uh, once we head into the playoffs this upcoming weekend. Which you know, very you know, very weird in the Western Conference. Because I mean, I mean the lake the Lakers the Lakers could lose to Golden State in an all time classic basketball game. And then turn around a few days later, beat the living tar out of, you know, San Antonio or Memphis, and they'll make it into the playoffs. You know, and they'll make it into the playoffs like you know, as if the as if the Golden State as if the Golden State game never occurred, which which is interesting. But for the sake of being a basketball fan, for the sake of being a sports fan, you hope that you'll get an all-time classic between Golden State and the uh, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Take a break. Finish up the program with a, with my two cents as far as these no hitters are concerned in baseball. Back after this. Welcome back to the I'm Talking Like a TIA's podcast. Switching gears now back to baseball to close out the program. And that is the fact that yet another no-hitter was thrown on Tuesday night uh, against uh, the uh, Seattle Mariners, as a matter of fact, uh, who joined the Cleveland Indians as the two teams this season to be no-hit twice in a season that's only a month and about two and a half, three weeks old. Um, you know, not even at Memorial Day yet, and already the Manners and the Indians have been managed to get no hit twice, and it's the fifth no hitter this season. Six, if you include the seven inning one that Bumgardner threw against the Braves, uh, so far in this young season, it was thrown by um, get his name, uh, Spencer Turnbull of the Detroit Tigers, who, if you care, I'll just read you. I'll just read you uh, his box score real quick. Uh, who, of course, went the complete game. Who, of course, went the complete game. No hits, no runs. He gave. He had nine strikeouts and he walked two batters uh, with the no hitter against the Seattle Mariners last night. Um, and it's the second time this month that Seattle's been no hit. Of course, the first time was by uh, John Means on uh, May the fifth. But um, but I'm going. But I'm not going to necessarily recap the no hitter. I'm gonna go in depth into essentially the no hitters in baseball are less common, and they and with every one that passes by this season, they become less special as far as the history of the sport in the grand scheme of things. John Means no hitter is special to him. Is special to the 2021 Orioles team. Is special to a person like me, an Oriole fan. And it's special to the Orioles franchise. And it's special to John Means' family, friends, and loved ones. And the grand scheme of things as far as the sport of Major League Baseball is no-hitter means nothing. His no-hitter is a big deal within the state of Maryland and to the people who, who, to John Means and people around him because it's something historical and it's something significant and it's something that doesn't occur every day, believe it or not. You know, for me, for me, for me, and for Orioles fans, for the organization, it's a big deal. It's the first complete, it's the first no-hitter of any kind that the Orioles have been on the positive end of in 30 years when they threw a combined no-hitter in 1991. It's the first complete game no-hitter in the history of the franchise in over 50 years. 1969, Jim Ballmer, when he no-hit the A's 
Um, so the fact that it's the first no hitter in in about in a generation uh, holds holds significant weight as far as the history of the franchise. The team has been around since you know nineteen fifty. The team has been around since nineteen fifty four. So it's been thirty years since since the team's last no hitter officially was a combined one, and it's been over a, over a half a century since the team's last. Uh, a complete game no hitter with the one starting pitcher going the full nine innings, um, and with Musgrove who threw the no hitter, uh, you know, who threw the no hitter uh, for the Padres when he no hit the Rangers earlier this season. It's not a big deal in the history of the sport, as far as the grand scheme of things, as far as the sport of baseball is concerned. But it's a big deal considering it was the first no hitter in the history of the San Diego Padres franchise that's been around for quite a long time. So the no-hitter is becoming more significant to the team that the player throws it for and the and the team that get that got a chance to witness it and the umpire and the um, and the and the people that were necessarily a part of it and the fans who were there in attendance and the fans of the team that that uh that got to see their team throw the no hitter a la me with John Means and Orioles. It's a bigger deal for that than it is essentially the record books in Cooperstown and the history of the sport. Because it's becoming more and more common and with every single time it gets more common it becomes less special. Now the reason for that is because uh well first the pot now that well hold on. The reason for that is because is the fact that the hitters, for whatever the reason, whether it's the analytical stuff, whatever it is, is that the hitters are be- are behind on something that the pitchers obviously ahead of them on. Uh, obviously, because you look at the fact that today's game, you're taught as a hitter to what well, you taught this, uh, and it drives me freaking crazy. Uh, yeah, with this launch, with this launch angle and exit velocity, velocity, and all this other gooberish, stupid asinine nonsense about get under the ball, you know, hit the ball deep, you know, a strikeout isn't a big deal anymore, which I vehemently disagree with, you know so it's it's all this analytical, geeky goober stupid nonsense instead of actually putting the ball in play, getting you know, a single is just a a single is just as good as a home run in certain scenarios and you'd rather put the ball in play, risking a chance for error for an error on the defensive team, or out or trying to beat the throw on your way to first base. That is now shunned, and and you'd rather strike out because apparently a strikeout is better than hitting a double play. But also ignoring the logic that well, you might hit into a double play, but you never know. You know the runner on first base on a takeout slide may break up the double play, so you have runners on first and second, and you don't get any of the two out. You know the runner if it's a close, if it's a bang bang double play, the runner on second base may be safe, and you have a runner on first base that's out, or the runner on first base might be safe because double play takes forever, and you get the runner on second, so you get a runner on first. Or, or you know, a throwing a throwing error from the second baseman, shortstop, or a third baseman, or the, or the first baseman may drop the ball, misplay it properly. All of that's th- all of that's thrown out the window. You know, if the ball is hit right back to the pitcher or right in front of the catcher, he may air mail the throw and and and, and chuck it into the, into center field on the throw to second base or any all that and, and all that uh, valuable. Um, all that va- all that valuable um, set of circumstances is thrown out the window because, well, a strikeout in our eyes is just as good as uh, is uh, you know it isn't as bad as it was say back in uh, say back in the 1950s. I if I, I tell you if I was running a team if I was managing a team could I nothing would make me sicker than to see a bunch of guys up and down my lineup one through nine go 0 for three with two strikeouts or 0 for four with three strikeouts or go 0 for four with the golden sombrero and all four strikeouts. I'd rather have you put the ball. I'd rather have you go 0 for four and put the ball in play and at least make contact rather than you to go 0 for three or 0 for four. With a with a bunch of K's by your name in the box score that that that's that's the way that's the way I roll and that's how I look at it and all this emphasis all this emphasis on launch angle get under the ball hit the it's it's just so it's basically what it's feast or famine you get all or nothing which I can't stand and I vehemently disagree with that with those uh, analytical approaches you know. 
all that all or nothing strikeout or a home run. I mean, like it's so overrated and so overplayed. It's it's mind boggling, but. That obviously has a lot to do with it too. I mean, this 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 pitcher for the for the Tigers had nine strikeouts in the game, nine, nine strikeouts. So a bunch of guys swinging and missing, trying to hit the ball into the upper deck instead of trying to break up the no hitter and trying to put the ball in play. So you have that, you throw that into the equation. You also throw into the occasion when you have the left hand when you have the left handed. Uh, batter in the lineup, you know, when when essentially the entire infield is shifted to the right side, playing him to pull, and instead of doing the logical thing and the smart, intelligent thing to do, see that they're see, see that they have the shift against you, and essentially with the on-one count, on all-in-two count, essentially drop the bad head down and bunt down a third base side and bunt and have a good old-fashioned bunt down the third base side where there's nobody within the within a 30-foot radius near the near the baseball and you get on base and, and avoid a strikeout that way while also improving your batting averages too now we won't ignore that we'll uh, we know the hitter the hitter and the and the and the hitting coach and the manager and everybody else knows that knows that this left-handed batter hits the ball you know 60% of the time he pulls it he pulls it to the right side of the infield and into right field. So rather than him essentially taking a different approach and bunting the ball to get on base and, uh, and help his team and boost the batting average, instead will will be hell bent on essentially swinging away. And what and what do you happens? Yeah, they'll make contact, but it goes right to the second baseman playing in short right field. Right, hits right into the shift and it's and it's essentially an automatic out instead of doing the logical and the smart thing and that's beating and that's either changing your approach when you swing away or bunting on purpose against the shift to beat the shift and get on base essentially you say hey next time we come up to bat you better think twice before you put the whole shift on me they don't take that approach for whatever the reason they rather say you know shift be damned and essentially if they pull the ball into short right field, into the glove of the second baseman, fine, whatever. Which I also disagree with. Which also, which also I think plays a part in the fact that these that these no hitters have absolutely gone off the chain. Now the positive is is that in the day and age where it's all analytically driven with the third time through the lineup and gosh and, and gosh darn it we, we got to get to our bullpens as quick as possible. The bright side to all these no hitters is the fact that. Is the fact that that they essentially is that when it comes to no hitters that the managers throw the analytics out the window and see that a, that if a guy has an opportunity to make quote unquote history and throw a no hitter, you know you know innings one through nine he's going to throw the analytics and 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 throw his bullpen and throw out other stuff out the door and essentially allow his pitcher to go as deep as he possibly can to try to achieve history and try to get his own personal accolade in the honor of throwing a no-hitter. So that's the positive, is that the managers or the assistant GM or whoever it is essentially throws the analytics and throws the numbers and the third time through the order and all that other stupid stuff. They throw it out the window because they see that because see that their pitcher is six and th- two thirds deep into the ball game, and then they've yet to allow a hit or a base runner. So that's so that's one positive out of the fact that these no hitters are throwing. Is that the fact that you actually get to see guys go deep into these ball games? A uh, 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 missing jewel that's been a uh, missing jewel that's been that's been uh, gone from the sport for the last uh, five five plus years or so. That you that that you used to see all the time back in the old days. That you don't see a lot now. So that's the positive. But a lot of it, I think, is not the fact that the hitters, that the pitch is so much better than the hitters. It's the fact that the hitters or, or the people that work on the hitting side of, of uh, said teams, of said teams, uh, of said teams, um, you know, coaching staff and, and, the, and, the, and, and the actual hitters in general, they just either too stuck in, stuck and hell bent in their ways because of these stupid analytics, or B, they just haven't put two and two together and realized that, you know, striking out, there's a reason why striking out, you know, 50, 50, 40, 60 years ago was shunned upon. And you know what? Striking out is does yourself no good because you're not putting the ball in play. And when you put the ball in play, there's a million of different sets of circumstances and sequences that can occur when you put the ball in play considering when the ball goes straight into the catcher's mitt, umpire says strike three, and you walk yourself back to the dugout. 
So it's becoming less and less special and less significant as far as a nat on as far as the national stage is concerned, as far as the history of the sport. It's still a big deal in retrospect when it comes to the history of the franchise, especially, like I said, a lot of my Orioles who hadn't had a complete game no-hitter since 1969 now. Or the Padres, where they hadn't had a uh, no hitter in the history of the franchise prior to this season, that is still a big deal. But as far as on the on the national stage, and as far as the history of the 150 plus year history of the sport, is becoming less and less special and less and less significant. Because every single time you turn around, someone's throwing a no hitter. But the bright side is is that the is that the managers, the pitching coaches. The assistant GM, they throw the analytics and the stupid numbers out the window, and they actually allow their their uh, their big time starters to go deep to go deep in the ball games, which is all which which is a which is a positive because heaven forbid we we let we let a guy head on out there in the sixth and seventh inning because of the third time through the order uh, analytics stigma. But anyway, that's my take on the uh, no hitters as far as Major League Baseball in this season is concerned. Um, and you know, and you ha- and you would have six, you'd have six, if you include Bumgarner's seven inning no hitter against the Braves a few weeks back, but that's my two cents as far as no hitters are concerned. And that is your show, and that is another episode of the Amatelicatelius podcast that is in the books. If you're new to the program, first time uh, checking us out, please sure be sure to subscribe and share with your friends and family. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it is, and the show on Instagram at Amatelic underscore podcast. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. It's your boy Jay Shield. Stay safe. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. I will talk to you Saturday. See you.